We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Arsenal's cunning plan to raise excitement for the Europa League is a success. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, it's contrived. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of hand-wringing. But what a cunning plan to get everybody even more fired up for the Europa League. And I, for one, applaud Arsenal. However, that may not have been what they were going for. We are going to have fun at the expense of Stan Kroenke who needs to desperately get out of our club. We are going to have fun at the expense of the uh, ill-fated erstwhile Super League, which, uh, as I joked on Twitter, lasted not quite as long as our podcast about the Super League. Uh, And so here we are to discuss the rise and fall of the Super League, what it actually means, why it came about, why it may not be totally dead yet, or at least that direction, where we go with Stan Kroenke and more, and here to do it with me, making an appearance on the main pod that is long overdue. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeehaw. Yeehaw, indeed. Welcome back, bud. Been a while. Been a while. It's been a while. Uh, and Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Paz. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter. Clive, you can Clive. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, indeed, my friend. Okay, so there is a lot to get to here. And for those of you who have been hiding under a rock, uh, obviously the the Europa, the the European Super League or Super League has collapsed. Um, it, one of the most ham-fisted, incompetent attempts I have ever seen uh, at a coup, and that is saying something given the the global circumstances. But that is indeed uh, the situation. Scott, I'm going to start with you and. Just say, look, 
we've all worked in big and small organizations, worked with big companies and small companies. There is a propensity to believe that billionaires are smart, that people in charge are smart. You know, sometimes I'll criticize the club and people say, oh, you think you're smarter than the people running the club? Well, if you've ever had anybody say to you, oh, do you think you're smarter than the people running the club? I think you can now possibly come back and say, yes. Yes, in fact, I do. I think this shatters the illusion that people running things always know what they are doing. So all I would say is, how do you believe that a consortium of billionaires with as much sporting experience as they have and business experience as they have came up with such a ham-fisted incompetent attempt to launch something so uh, earth-shattering, so culture-shattering, so seismic that that they had no sense uh, of what to do. And I, and I also joked, you know, like, um, you know, there's a lot of heads that are going to roll for this. And Honestly, I feel like their proposal for this amounted to faxing a picture of their ass to the football world, writing Super League bitches on it. Like, what were they doing here? Yes, I'm not ready to comment on their intelligence because I think these are probably intelligent people. I think that this is. <laughs> I think this is something where you definitely see that these people are within their own bubble and probably aren't getting a lot of outside of perspectives on how they think these things were going to kind of go over. So I think that was probably their biggest mistake. And I, I did comment thinking that this is something that it really felt like they might have rushed this out. I don't know if, you know, the media got, you know, a leak on this was coming and they really kind of forced them to come through because, you know, supposedly they had all these big PR firms and all these things kind of lined up. But this really did seem kind of half-baked when it came out. I mean, they only had 12 of the 15 teams committed. Um, that's a big problem. I mean, if you have all 15, you might be able to to push this through a little bit more, get a little more solidarity. But there was no answer to who were the other three teams going to be. Um, there was no any sort of information about how the other five teams that are supposed to make this up are going to qualify. They hadn't gone to the extent of actually having a broadcast partner. So it really did seem that this was like they had kind of created the bit of the, the framework, but they had gotten like 60% of the way done. And then it seemed like the news leaked and they're just like, well, let's roll the dice and see if we can push it through. It was, I mean, to me, I think that's really where it comes across as really just not well finished. It's just such a staggering lack of understanding of the ecosystem in which you operate a business. That yeah, it's, it's astonishing. But the effort to take on governments, UEFA, FIFA, and the fans of the sport, and to have nothing more than a Squarespace website that was built in 10 minutes. I think this is the kind of thing, look, I understand you need to get out in front of this or get out in front of that. You get out in front of this and get out in front of that when you've been caught cheating on your partner, not when you're trying to upend a century of sporting culture across multiple nations to a global fan base. I, it just doesn't make any sense. Paul, I guess what I would say to you is, do you have any sort of suspicion about this? I mean, the thing that is really hard for me to understand is they really wanted to do something revolutionary. And revolution rarely comes without opposition. It's staggering mm -hmm. to me that they underestimated the extent to which fans and, and other groups would push back. Yeah. What do you think specifically was the pushback that scared them off? Do you think it was the fans? Because to me, the idea that they had the wherewithal to last two days of fan outrage, that that was the extent to which they were committed to this. You don't go get J.P. Morgan Chase to put up billions of dollars um, in, in fund funding and sign a bunch of documents and have a bunch of, of secret meetings and go public with this 
if you've got 48 hours worth of spine of fan blowback. So do you think it's yeah. the fan blowback? Do you think it's something else? Or do you think they literally just had not contemplated somehow the reaction they might have gotten to this earth-shatteringly stupid idea? Uh, look, they've been working on this for a really, really, really long time. All evidence to uh, the contrary. <laughs> uh, yeah, well... Uh, so not really, because you got the WikiLeaks. Uh, uh, in terms of the outcome, in terms of their how it unra- how it unraveled, I agree with you. On the sur- on the surface, yes, but I mean the WikiLeaks stuff is there. They've been they've been working on. Yeah, but no, I wasn't disagreeing with you literally, Paul. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying in terms of execution, yeah, yeah. you wouldn't know it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so what's it come down to? Like, I agree with Scott. They're not stupid, but. Stupid is as stupid does. What they were was arrogant. What they are is old and out of touch and culturally deaf. Mm. Because this was cultural imperialism. And I don't mean American cultural imperialism or Middle Eastern or I just mean, I'll have to use the word American, but I think specific to sports franchise mentality they just thought that that's the way this is the thing because you have you have three groups here um you have the billionaires club that includes levy a london you know a londoner and an englishman so it's basically billionaires will billionaire at the bottom is the bottom line don't matter about nationality uh you had the desperate Europeans, your your Spaniards, your Italians. Um, there's some American American stuff mixed in there, but like the Europeans sure did their thing. And then you have the oligarchs and the and the uh, oil countries, and they all behaved quite differently. Like the billionaires were in this for the long run, and they had their plan. You, we saw the desperation from. Uh, Perez and using desperation as the rationale. And then we had the oligarchs uh, who played along but bailed real quick because they weren't they didn't need the money. They didn't need the shitstorm. They're in it for they were in it for uh, reputation enhancement and status. And they realized real quick they got that one wrong. That's why they were first out the door. They needed this the least. The Americans uh, and the billionaires and the levies um were in this for the long haul and would have toughed this out they were pretty much the slowest to leave because in the end the prize is so big if they could have swung this but they just didn't understand the cultural uh, tripwire they were going across and you're right it wasn't just the fans it wasn't just the outrage they expected that what they didn't expect was the UK government saying they drop a legislative bomb uh, to get these fuckers in the Premier League, um, and 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 this was, you know, the German, the French, culturally, there was going to be a massive backlash, and what they just didn't know what they were up against. They didn't understand how much everything would align against them. This was cultural in the end. That's mm-hmm. what got them. And maybe like a little bit of the monorail episode from The Simpsons. That too. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> It's funny because I think that there's always a cynical response. It's like, oh, so now we're back in the loving arms of UEFA and FIFA and the Premier League and all these great custodians of the game who have our interests at heart. And like, no, definitely not the case. But there's something about our game being our game and not their game. And 
Yeah. You know, it's like my daughter has this stuffed puppy and it's her, you know, her favorite stuffed animal. It's her security animal. And it has a rip in a leg and it's got a little tear on its back and it's pretty dirty. And like we could go out and buy her a new stuffed puppy, a bigger one, a softer one with no rips. That's totally clean. It wouldn't be her stuffed puppy. She wouldn't want it. And I think that there is a, a an arrogance about this. that says, oh, well, we can we can make football bigger and shinier and specialer and and it can be healthier in ways that it's not right now and sure there may be problems that need to be fixed but that wouldn't be our football and we don't want it and they don't get it you know i think americans and american sports are great at optimization revenue optimization profit optimization and admittedly you, you, we could all go into capitalism the help of government the help of cronyism set that aside for a second the nfl is big and shiny and prints money and and understands spectacle and content but like maybe football isn't meant to be optimized maybe it isn't meant to be taken to its capitalistic logical extremes to its logical conclusion maybe it just because of how big it is globally how many countries it touches how many how far down the ladder the dream goes Maybe it isn't meant to be optimized in that way. And these billionaires can't conceive of a world where the natural progression of things isn't to just optimize for profit, optimize for revenue, optimize Get for every last yeah. eyeball. This like the 18 to 24 thing or whatever they were talking about. Who gives a fuck what that teenager's doing on his video game? We don't want him. Right. Well, well, I mean, it's an open tent. Everyone can come in if they want to be here. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, but our job is not to turn ourselves into a video game. Right. This legacy fan shit, this external stakeholder, which sounds quite good, actually. Maybe I'm starting to warm to these labels, <laughs> right? Footballs, we don't need 7 billion people watching the sport. We've got like 2 billion. And that's the problem with capitalists. And like, uh, I, the one thing I'd like to maybe qualify in what I said is like, you can't not use the term American, but America is a huge country with all sorts of strands running through it culturally. It's not just capitalists and it's not just, uh, but what it, what it is significantly is every time an American billionaire of the wannabe uh, sports franchise, American sports franchise model shows up. This is the way they see the world. It just is. Yeah. And they bend the world to their will. And in this case, yep. they couldn't. And it's nice to see a line drawn in the sand. And and I'm, you know, I'm I'm happy with that. And that, again, I want to be clear. And Clive, I want to get this to the Arsenal focus. But let's be clear. None of this means that this is fixed, that football Ooh. is fixed, that this won't come back, that change isn't needed. Football is not fixed. Um, but, you know, totally breaking it to the point where it's unrecognizable isn't synonymous with fixing it either clive let's talk arsenal for a minute and the first a couple of things i want to get to with you one is just the statement that was put out i think the thing that really really bothers me with stan Kroenke, and there are many 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 things is just the absenteeism we have always talked about that the absenteeism and today john w henry put out a video a hostage video staring into the camera wearing a, a very folksy vest so surely he means everything he's saying apologizing directly to the fans saying it's not Klopp, it's not the players, it's not the executives, it's me, I did this. It's self-serving, it doesn't change anything really, but it shows that that is a club where the person who owns it recognizes the buck stops with him. Even if he doesn't even mean it, it's the point that he will front up to a camera and take responsibility, and that filters down through the organization. Stan's 
message, open letter to the fans, is signed the board. There is no the board at Arsenal. There is Stan and people who do what Stan says. And the fact that he has let this message be, we just went along with everybody else, and we only did what we had to because other people were doing it. And oh, by the way, I'm not even going to front up and say it was my decision. I'm going to say it was the board's decision. I think it's emblematic of why we can't compete from a football standpoint either. Because there is no clear direction from the top. There is no one at the very, very top who wants to be responsible for what this club is from a sporting standpoint or a cultural standpoint. And this this is just emblematic of that. So how do you react to the statement, to his silence, to his willing to remove himself from culpability here? And, and maybe, do you think the person who's going to wind up falling on the sword is Vina? <laughs> How many questions do you get in there? Well, I mean, I mean, you, given that you may not answer any of them, I'm just trying to get enough out there that one gets answered. That's that's all I'm doing here. So when we had a discussion the other day about this, we you know we were fortunate enough that the listeners allowed us to have a nuanced conversation about it. Try to see, put ourselves in different people's shoes. Try to see why this was happening, how we got here, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I found myself the next day feeling quite low actually as we were heading down this path mm. I thought crikey this is affecting me more than I realised and when it when it started to go you know the other way I wasn't jumping for joy and I'm still not jumping for joy because I sat there watching the Sky TV pundits scrabbling for their jobs as they know that the whole Sky TV model was breaking down it's based on the Premier League basically and they are like trying to create uproar and trying to raise up fans and all the rest of it. I'm thinking that looks un- unedifying, you know. And, and I'm looking around thinking, this is actually really, really bad. This is really bad. I said on the podcast the other day that these are the smartest guys in the room. Well, the smartest guys in the room when it comes to finance and pounds. But Paul's nailed it really. Culturally and emotional intelligence, I don't know what gene they've got missing there because they're completely lost to people gene. And probably that's why they're billionaires. They just don't care about people. They do not care about people. Their livelihoods only if it benefits them. And what really struck me in this whole thing... But can I add something, Clive? I think if you look at how they made their money, it wasn't really from having to work with people who don't work for them. Exactly. And they're now in a business in which almost everybody who determines their outcomes does not work for them. Uh, And that's a they're they're now hardwired for a kind of business that they're not actually in. No, they're they're not. I'll come on on to that in a second. Yeah, I think um, I'll give an example. When you work, football is a people business. And they've completely misread the people and the game. But why would we expect Stan to you know, read the people? He's called silent Stan for a reason. He doesn't want to connect with people that you may have to chop their legs off down the road. Why am I going to connect them? Why am I going to build a relationship with them? They're just an asset to me. Once you let billionaire investment investors into the room, you've lost control. You've lost control. And I find... God be honest with you, I'm disappointed in myself as a fan. Uh, I'm not this way wired. I'm more wired for the game. There are some people that have been calling these owners all sorts of names for many years and have been trying to say things and people have not been listening and have been winning their fake cups, etc. But if you let the billionaires into the room and give them control of your club, then you're not in control. You're not in control of the next step. 
So it's almost like, why are we getting... It's almost like we did this to ourselves. We looked at the new money coming in at Chelsea and Man City, and we wanted some of that. We wanted to win. We wanted to compete. And we let these things happen around us. Now, so we're all part of this problem, this game, that we att- we attach and attach ourselves to for different em- emphases and angles. And so I find the last couple of days quite unedifying by everybody, from, the, from FIFA, from UEFA, from... The TV companies from the billionaires. It's really depressed me because what's happened, Elliot and Paul and Scott, is they absolutely, our owners, have absolutely revealed themselves. And they've revealed exactly what they think about Amen. the club and about us. And when you invest as much time as we do, just even thinking about things about this club, just walking along thinking about this club in our mind all day, every day. The fans, when you're a fan, it doesn't, doesn't leave your head. It doesn't leave your head. And when your club is in the hands of somebody that doesn't even know anything about the club, I'll give you a little snide. There's a, what the Sky commentator said at one game, he said, I won't name the club. There was an owner that came to watch an away game and he was in the boardroom and he turned around to his fellow board members and said, which one of which one of the teams is ours? Because he didn't know the colours of the team. And then he wouldn't name the team on Sky. I'm thinking, that's Cronky. <laughs> that's Cronky. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking, that's Cronky. And then and it's I would a require laugh. him to actually be at the game though, right? <laughs> but it, but it's it, but it's not a laugh, is it? This this isn't a laugh. We I want a new right back. Who's going to give it to me? Do you know what I mean? I want you sent them in. Who's go- we have to turn around to the same people that we're slaughtering today because the legislation and the lack of safeguarding of our clubs means we are dependent on these people. We're going to demo and try to get them out, but it really worries me how we've got here as a game to allow the <clears throat> top echelons of our game to be controlled by people like this. And I'm afraid we're we're all got a little small part to play. It's not our fault. You know what I'm trying to say by that. It's not our fault. We're all part of the show, aren't we? We're all part of the game. And um, if you want to get control of it, we better start. We better, we better start now. We better start really meaning it about how we act and how we act towards the club. I'm, this is not my strength on how to protest because I'm just not confrontational. But there are some people that it is their strength. And, I, and I'm behind them 100%. Mm. Um, so, uh, like, I think what Clive said was powerful because I think a lot of people feel bad that they didn't do something, didn't say something, didn't see what was coming. Uh, reminds me of there's an Elvis Costello line. I still can't forgive you for the things you haven't done yet. Like, how, we didn't choose the owner. We didn't get a voice in it. We, we had it delivered to us. The... I think the it's just not it was ne- it's not human nature for all of the supporters to unite against an owner who hasn't done anything wrong yet. Uh, Stan Kroenke didn't do a lot right yet, um, but he didn't do anything wrong until he revealed himself. Now you could say he did this, that, and the other, but uh, it was small fry stuff along the way that if if this was what you were expecting then you could see maybe the pattern building. But the major thing that came out of this was 
Dan Cronky and these guys reveal themselves to us and we should never be deceived again. They've told us not only who they are, what they want, they've told us what the end game is. Thank you very much. We know what we're up against. Um, they have not just temporarily, but hopefully for uh, the very, very long term, told Arsenal supporters what they want, what they don't care about, who they don't give a shit about. And that's the whole total sport. And if it hadn't come out like this, then you, we would have been at war with ourselves because there would have been all those people saying, but they haven't really done anything wrong. And imagine if half of our supporter base were convinced these guys were the devil and the other half were saying, we, we just end up at war with each other. Mm. And if there's only if there's one good thing that came out of this, it's that. And, and to Clive's other great point, which is not everybody is built for revolution. Not every like a lot of people watch the sport to love the sport. And yeah, we shouldn't not have every, to be. Life is not, hard enough. Yeah. Just watch football. It's supposed to be a diversion. <laughs> and, and so like Ars blog had a great bit in his blog today and I'd been thinking about joining a supporters organization for a while because I don't want to spend all my time on politics, on sport, on negotiating with the club. But there are people who are deeply, passionately involved in this. And I may not agree with everything that our supporter groups come up with, but I certainly agree the club needs to listen to them, needs to know we're serious, that we're a force, that we're a factor. And I took my little bit... uh, of energy from yesterday because the one thing we could all agree yesterday was what we didn't want the hardest piece is going to be what we do want and who we work with and how we get there and the connections across clubs across fan groups the interaction of of supporter groups and our supporter group with the prime minister with the government of the uk was a major factor Mm. in this thing hitting the the brakes yesterday it may not always be like that. I don't have the energy to spend on all of that, but I do have the energy to support our supporter uh, groups. I joined one yesterday. A whole, on, uh, a whole bunch of people joined supporter groups yesterday. Yeah. There, are, there are a number mm-hmm. of fine groups. It, it's not for everybody. Yeah. Not everybody wants so, I'm not okay. a group joiner, mm-hmm. but uh, somebody, you know, I will support our groups as they speak up for supporters in general and for fans and for, for having a voice, because we may not know, we may know what we don't want, but we still to work out what we do want. Yeah. Great question. So that, that's where I want to go, Scott, with you is, um, look, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have my, my moment, uh, in a moment, but before I do that, let's, let's say something of value. Um, the, the, question of of stan needing to go i think is on everybody's lips now i mean if you go on social media Cronky out is trending there's going to be a a protest on friday stan Cronky is a bad owner and he has been and i think it's been demonstrable that he's been a bad owner pretty much from the start and i will get to my reasoning for why i think he has always been a bad owner and why he's viewed as a bad owner by people uh, in multiple countries by the way not just of arsenal but i think there is a lack of clarity about what you do instead. Uh, you know, if you want to say it's Americans, uh, by the way, be my guest. I can understand why you'd be feeling that way right now. But like Mike Ashley isn't exactly leading Newcastle to the promised land. 
Um, I mean, Joe Lewis at Tottenham is, you know, very similar to Stan. He has somebody mm-hmm. else speak for him. He's the silent guy behind. Yeah. And then, I mean, you, you look at Roman Abramovich, you know, Sheikh Mansour, like, one of the hardest things for me to swallow in this whole event was Manchester City being painted as the saviors of modern football because with literally nothing at stake for them as a club that can buy success in either situation and where really all they're doing is sports washing a reputation, okay, they were in and then they were the first to pull out and now they are the saviors of football. Like, please spare me. But what is the solution? I mean, you hear things talk talked about like the the German model, the 50 plus one model where fans have ownership economically, that ship may have sailed. Do you have a sense of how you fix this? Because if you want Stan out, I'm right there with you. But what I do recognize is the thing that could come in next has every possibility to either be worse from a sporting standpoint or worse from a sort of reputational standpoint or or ethical standpoint. So how do you, as a fan, how do you, find a quote-unquote suitable owner what would that even look like yeah i don't know that is the the hard question because i was thinking about this today and i think Kroenke is about a replacement level owner i mean he has certain things that i think he does okay at he has certain things that he's not good at i mean to a certain extent his hands-off approach can be good it depends on who he has running the club it can also be a little bit disastrous but i think you've seen um owners that are a little bit too involved and then you start going into what they want and they maybe they aren't thinking rationally about things and you can see that go the other way as well so i, I kind of was kind of what what are the probabilities i think of arsenal actually getting a better owner i i said maybe 30 to 40 percent i think there's a 30 ish percent chance we get someone who's just as bad as Stan. I think there's a certain, maybe a 20% chance we get an absolute horrible owner, like a Mike Ashley or something like that, that really just destroys the club. Um, you know, and you could see things like, uh, you know, the original owners of Liverpool before John Henry came in, where they came in with a, a leveraged buyout and really put the, the club at risk of, you know, really going into um, a really bad situation. I think these are all possibilities that happen. So it's not a panacea to say Cronky out and that fixes everything because I, I don't think it does. I think even if you do get a, a quote unquote good owner, is everybody going to be happy with how they made their money? I mean, do we want an oligarch? Do we want someone like that coming in? I mean, a lot of billionaires get there in shady ways, and that's certainly a possibility of whatever comes in. I don't see there being a, a good chance that, you know, we, you know, see some sort of like a fan group raise, you know, 2 million people come in with $1,000 each and that gets us $2 billion to buy the club. I, I, I don't see that happening kind of a thing. So I don't know if there's a, a good solution. I think this is something that's just kind of here and it, it kind of sucks. Um, I wanted to go back to just a, a little bit. I think there's been a lot of good points here. And I think some of the things that, you know, what we us fans want we kind of have incompatible views of what we're demanding from our club. Um, I think that's a great you know, point. Yeah. I think there's a lot of times, you know, there, yeah. there's, there's a lot of, Oh, spend money, show ambition. Um, but then we have these idealized views about how we want to go about those things. So, I mean, to me, this is a lot of the things that the clubs are doing is trying to be able to make it so, they can do the things that the fans want. They want to bring in the best players. They want to be able to pay these players all this money. And but you know they also want some sort of a guarantee that you know if we do make these major investments, that the club's not going to go bust. I mean that's where Arsenal are in this bad situation where we're paying Champions League wages on a Europa League budget, and we may not even have a Europa League budget next year. So it's like we are doing these things to show the ambition, but we're going to you know the there is a risk to that as well. So it's. 
it's a it's a very hard situation and i don't know if there's a good solution it is challenging because spend some money but also we love our self-sustaining model but then we lose 100 million pounds in a global pandemic and it's not self-sustaining we say well but we don't want a super league that would be self-sustaining and then it's we want to show ambition but we want to make room for academy kids to come through it is difficult i mean this is a challenge as a fan base we have things that we want that aren't always compatible and that's our right because we don't run the club. We can want whatever we want. You know, the one thing that I've always hated about fan debates is the idea that it's our responsibility to get it right. It isn't. Our responsibility is to want to see the club win football. That's really where our responsibility stops because for most of us, we have lives and those lives are difficult and this is supposed to be the fun diversion. And I realize there are some people that take that further, that it is so connected to them spiritually in every aspect of their life you know, that go home in a way that join supporters groups that are involved in it on a day-to-day-to-day basis. And that's great too. But you you don't have to solve the club's problems for them. That's their job. Um, I do think that there is a tendency to defend the owner when the owner isn't doing something that is just so overtly terrible as to be indefensible. What's unique about this is that very, very, very few people have come to the defense of it. But there have been a lot of things along the way. And Stan Kroenke just doesn't fucking care. He really does not care. He appoints bad people. You know, he let Raul turn this club into a cash machine. That's on him. That's his fault. It's not Raul's fault. If I leave my five-year-old at the house alone and I come back and the house is a mess, it's my fault. Because it's my house. And it's my rules. The wage deferment. Why on earth did we let Stan Kroenke reach into the pockets of the players all the while planning something to enrich himself. How must they be feeling about that right now? And firing staff and all the while, well, what do you expect? The club's losing money. There's no revenue. Well, then I guess they should start a Super League, shouldn't they? It, you, you can criticize the owner. It's going to be okay. This guy is a bad dude. And he does not care about your club. And so you don't have to defend him. Because he's been bad from day one. Now, where I disagree... I don't think he's been bad from day one because he didn't spend some money. I think he's been bad because he doesn't care. And that his most important uh, uh, interest is his bottom line. And that is the problem. And and I'm not going to say that John W. Henry, for example, cares about the fans. But he takes an active interest in the sporting success of his organization. And that alone trickles down culturally throughout the organization that there's someone at the top that's keeping an eye on how the organization is performing so you know while i hated it when he said what are they smoking at the emirates when we offered 40 million and one for suarez can you imagine stan even knowing what we spent or what we pay or i mean i'm sure he does know what we spend but not what we've been offered anyway clive the There's a lot here that impacts Arsenal, and I want to get to the implications of this for the club. We have left the ECA shortly after Vinay being appointed to it. Um, PSG, Bayern, and Dortmund seem to have uh, had a masterclass here, now in a position to really drive the agenda in European football, as these other clubs have abandoned it, basically. Florentino Perez has come out and basically said, this has to happen in one respect or another, because if not, we are dead. Our club is dead. Um, What is the future? Works for for me, by the way. Well, <laughs> uh, not if it also includes Arsenal. Uh, so, look, the the thing is, Clive, we're not on the ECA anymore. We have massive losses. Stan has suffered a major PR hit. Do you think there's a possibility that he takes it out on the club, in a sense, to say, you know what, as long as it doesn't get relegated, 
It's an asset that I can live with. No, no players this summer. You got to sell. You got to recoup some losses. You get no players this summer. Uh, that could happen, and that's one of the saddest things for me. It's not this. We always, uh, I, I, we. I thought something like this may happen one day, but what I didn't really foresee was the. I don't know why I didn't foresee it, but the the complete breakaway. The lack of sporting competition. I thought there'll be something to run alongside something else. Do you know what I mean? And I thought that the pyramid would be in place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the people aspect they're completely misread, hundred percent. But what really bothers me, really bothers me, is that all of the other top you know, big six have had investment directly from their owner in the last X amount of years. All of them. So while we were going through FFP or the rest of it, going along, if this was Stan's end game, which it probably was, along with everybody else, by the way, because we know that football is untapped and this is not going to go away. It's going to come back mm-hmm. in another form. Yep. So let's not pretend. There's, there's hundreds of millions out there that are untapped. And so they're going to get that money at some point. right? So, But while he's waiting to get that money, he can't be bothered to invest in the football team. And I care about the football team. You know, I care about the football club. I care about its reputation. I care about its values. So, you know, I, I'm not a fan of Chelsea. I'm not a fan of City. I don't want to follow their model. But can we just compete a little bit? Or are we just going to stay in 10th? As long as we don't get relegated. As long as we, can we just going to stay there until the next opportunity comes up? to really go and get the money that I really want. Is that going to be the, the way forward for us? And that really saddens me, really, because I've you know I've been sitting there talking about the Arteta project and getting excited about these young players and trying to imagine the type of players we need to buy next year to go alongside these players to support them and what older players need to go to save some money on wages and then when we cut the wage bill, I'm thinking, well, you know what? Maybe that's a good thing to do. That suits our values. I'm thinking, what, what am I doing? Well, what am I doing? It's just, it's, it's all, it's just not, it's just not relevant. It's just not relevant. It doesn't now, feel like it, does it? Yeah, I'm with no, you. No, it yeah. it's just not relevant. And so what needs? So now you're broken. This is a, this is a saddest thing of all, right? All the trust has been broken. Some people that want to trust in the institution they support has been broken. Now we don't trust their motives. That's a terrible thing, that is. We don't trust your motives. So you've got a choice. You either get out, we don't trust your motives, or you make us trust your motives. And I'm not sure which way that's going to go. I'm generally not sure. But you're, we all connect. I think Scott made a great point earlier about how we connect to our clubs, you know, what we expect from our clubs, etc. We all connect in our own in our own way. But I tell you what, you need to trust your club. You need to be proud of your club. You need to be proud of your club's reputation. And there were moments yesterday and I felt ashamed. Sorry to say I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed by the lack of thought, the lack of intelligence, the lack of emotional intelligence. I, I felt ashamed. And I've never felt ashamed sporting Arsenal for my forty five years. I felt ashamed, and and I'm not sure. I mean, I'm I'm gonna love the club forever, but I want to trust. I want to be proud of the club. I want to stand up for the club. I want to support the club. I want to be out with my mates fighting for the club, 
protecting the club, protecting players who I know are crap. But I'm, for them, I'm not going to tell them. Do you know, what I, mean? I want to be out there defending the club. And you know, I'm you know what this was, Clive. This was our "Are we the baddies?" moment. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Well, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't put us. Yeah, I, we, we're not the goodies. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. but let's not let's not pretend. You know, there was an interview yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw it. It was Pep Guardiola's interview, mm. which was the moment for me that was the best moment of the day. And he spoke about competition, lack of competition. He said, you know, if, if there's no failure or if, if there's no competition, it's not sport. And I thought that's, that's captured it brilliantly. But he also said, everyone's got self-interest. UEFA's got self-interest. They put these international friendlies in the most difficult part of the season. And he quoted Robert Lewandowski, who played for Bayern Munich, centre forward, massive quarterfinal of the Champions League coming up. He ends up getting injured in, a, in an international game at a key moment, Poland versus Andorra. Misses the game, Bayern Munich go out to PSG. He's went 10 months of playing to get to that moment. 10 months of planning. I know it's a bit more of a coach's view, but I certainly resonate with it. 10 months of planning to get to that moment. And a stupid international friendly is put in at the most critical time of the season. You've got FIFA pulling against the top players. They want to have a FIFA World Club Championship, wherever it is. You've got UEFA trying to make the Euros much bigger. You've got a World Cup in Qatar. Let's not pretend all these guys who are clapping themselves in the back today are not thinking about themselves. They're all the same. And it's all pulling on our club, individual clubs, their players. And these owners are sitting there thinking, we have all the risk, we have all the contracts, we have all the expenses, and we want to make sure we can maximise our revenues and cap our expenditure. That's where they want to end up. So they can be, you told you taught me this, they want to make it like a cash point machine, just like the NFL. That's what they want to do, where they know exactly what they're going to spend, but what they can get back in is almost limitless. And that's where they're going to end up. And that's why billionaires are in the room. That's why they all gave us all their money, bought our TV. They bought Canada years ago, Cronky did. I'm thinking, why does he want that? <laughs> you know. And they'll buy more assets into the club to get through the door, to get to this moment. And, and as we said, they've just rebuilt themselves. And I'm destroyed by the lack of trust now I've got in this club. So now I'm going to be looking at them through one eye and trying to find my enjoyment in the football team and hoping that I'm going to sit there and watch, say, okay, you lot, you better build that trust back up. You know, you really have. You've got the work to do now because you've been stupid. You, you're, you didn't even think about a backup plan. You didn't think about something failing. You didn't think about your player relationships, your major relationships, your fan relationships, your executive relationships. You didn't think about anything. You just saw the notes. And that makes me wonder even more about the leadership void at our club. When Arsene Wenger walked out, we lost a lot of morality when he walked out. You know, forget about him as a coach. As an individual, we lost a lot of morality. And I worry about the morals of the club. You know, I really do. Who do we trust now? Yeah, it's a great question. And look, some people are great at multitasking. But when the tasks get big enough, you can't be good at both. Stan Kroenke is in the middle of one of the most expensive ambitious sporting projects in the world right now with what he's building in LA and trying to do there. I'm not saying I'm in favor of it. I'm just saying that's what it is economically. Multiple billions of dollars being spent on an enormous, really sports city complex in LA. And that's where his focus is. That's where his sporting focus is. 
It's not on Arsenal. Maybe this would have put a little of the focus on Arsenal, but with this dead now, it's even more reason for him to be like, well, I don't care about that thing over there. Not putting any more time and energy into that thing. They don't like me. They won't do what I want. Fine, I'll, I'll focus on this other thing. And it makes you wonder if it's just going to be more drift. And I, you know, I think it's also, look, yeah, it's their club. They buy it. It's not running the way they'd like. They're beholden to UEFA. They're beholden to FIFA. They're beholden to the Premier League. They're beholden to clubs like Burnley and Southampton that they don't regard as being their equals. But it's like walking into a, a restaurant in France as an American and complaining about the service and, you know, wanting to be able to order a, a chicken, a fried chicken sandwich and have it brought to you in two minutes with a smile. Like, you walked into their restaurant, in their culture, and, you know, you can't just reshape it to be your own. And unfortunately, that's how it works. I want to say one thing before I come to you, Scott, because I know we're going to lose you here uh, quickly. Um, it is not a moral failing if you liked the idea of the Super League. It is not a, a, a moral... I am not trying to paint anyone who liked the Super League as being a bad person or morally failing, anything like that. I can even see arguments for a Super League type thing, or at least why we need something like that to fix what is broken. What I would say is, while I didn't like the proposal, and I don't think it's a good one, thinking there needs to be change, and creating change without consent of the people whose lives you're upending are two different things. If I think the stop sign at the intersection of my neighborhood should go, I can you know, lobby my neighborhood, we can have a talk about it, we can decide if it makes sense, but if I walk out to the intersection, pull the stop sign out, and then there's a bunch of cars that crash into each other, that's not acceptable. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to make this a moral failing issue that if you liked this idea, you're bad and only people that oppose it are good. It's not that, but it, it is the way they went about doing it, the, the reckless disregard for the culture, the sport and the sentiment of the fans and all that. So uh, real quick, Scott, because I do think this is important though. What does this mean in your view for Arsenal? Not being in the ECA, potentially having an owner that's now oppositional to the club and the fans, the hundred million pound uh, deficit is only going to look bigger when the accounts for 2021 and the balance of 2020 come out. So is this now war literally between the owner and his asset in some ways? Is this VNI getting sacked? Is this money being withheld? Is this you've got to sell players and raise funds? I'm done with this shit. As long as we don't get relegated, is Stan going to be content to really now watch the club essentially wither and die as a competitive force? I mean, I'm sure that's still going to be a, a stated goal is probably to get back into the Champions League, but I don't know if there's going to be the significant appetite to underwrite large losses. Um, I guess it'll, I mean, I'm fairly certain there's going to be huge losses after this year because, again, there's been no fans and that's been a, a major thing. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's going to be that huge appetite to really continue to try to push things forward. And I think that this is probably going to be something where, it probably has become a, a second or third option for Stan Kroenke. I don't know if this is going to be any sort of a, a push for him to sell. I mean, you still look at the, the enterprise value of what he'd be able to sell Arsenal for, and I, I imagine that is just continuing to go up. I mean, one of the things that I think the the Super League really kind of really kind of brought into you know stark attention is that there are major issues in European football. There's inequality between the leagues. There's inequality inside the leagues. And that's not going away. Um, yeah, look, I don't the think new this... Champions League format has places that just go based on coefficient, which is only very, very, very uh, um, an attenuated I, you know, connection I mean, we, to competition. You know, so, you know. I mean, I think that actually we talk about merit and I think those are merit based places. and I don't necessarily have a problem with those 
particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's you know, you know, not the the topic of this discussion. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I I think that there are still significant structural problems within the game. I don't think the Super League was the answer to fix them. But I think there are things that we need to do to fix them. But again, I think, you know, we looked at the way that this came around. There was no consultation with the coaches. There really probably wasn't a lot of consultation with people beyond the very top, you know, at the board level within the clubs. There was no talking with the players. The players were going to be people that probably took the biggest hit from a lot of this, you know, probably you start thinking about five to 10 years down the road. And I imagine that this was a way to control costs, control, you know, wages, control transfer spending, do all of those things. So, I mean, I don't think that the players were necessarily going to be on board with that, especially players that would have been probably in that middle tier of teams that are good, maybe, you know, every once in a while, Champions League teams, but not necessarily among the top of the, you know, these players make good money. And that would have been something that probably would have gone away with this proposal. And so I think there's a lot of stakeholders that are needing to be brought into things to try to make you know reforms and how this affects Arsenal. I don't know. Probably not good. I think the the you know kind of the, the normal trajectory of things that we've seen from them kind of shows that you know things are not in a, a good spot. And, and I don't know. I, I don't think there's going to be big need for, you know, or I don't think there's going to be a big desire for Stan Kroenke to invest a lot into this club going forward. And I think it's going to be, we have to be smart. And I don't know if I necessarily have the the confidence that, you know, we're going to be extra smart to be able to to get into a spot where we're competing for the things that we'd like to compete for. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly doesn't improve the outlook. And the irony is we could wind up in the Champions League next season um, on the heels of all this, which is just the weirdest sort of cognitive dissonance. Scott, just real quick, uh, Woodward out at United. Do you think Vini winds up being the sacrificial lamb at Arsenal? I mean, does there need to be a sacrificial lamb? I mean, I, mean, I think he's just doing the bidding of what Stan Kroenke wanted him to do, so I don't know. Oh, I think know. we know that, but, but you <laughs> so know. I, I mean. don't think there's going to – I mean, is would that be enough to call, you know, make the, the fans – you know, happy? I don't think so. So, I mean, I don't know. It would probably, probably he is probably going to lose his job. Is that going to be enough? I don't think that's going to make anybody happy. I don't think that's going to bring back any trust. I don't think that's going to satisfy anybody. So, yeah, it, it probably will happen, but I don't think it'll make anybody happy. Well, the irony is, if you think that replacing VNI with someone more competent would make the club better run, it, it could be good fortune for us. Although, knowing Stan, he may just replace Vinay with whoever is directly under Vinay or with no one at all. Um, but you don't think, you do or you don't think he'll be a sacrificial lamb? I, I mean, I think that there's, again, uh, kind of weighing things in probability, I think there's better than 50% chance that he loses his job by the end of the year. Yeah. Are, 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 do you have to go? I, I do. So, yes, it was good talking to you guys. And, yeah, I enjoyed all the discussions. Yeah, thanks so much, Scott. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely, obviously, have you on Thanks, more Scott. in the future. Uh, Scott's on Twitter. Oh, underscore that, underscore that. Thanks, Scott. Um, hey. Uh, you want a quick opinion on, on Vinay going? Yeah, please. Uh, like, I, I don't think he will. Okay. I, I, I think it's quite clear internally that this was a Stan decision and externally. Um, he doesn't, he's never portrayed himself as this big Ed Woodward type. You know, that's not his... He gets on, he communicates reasonably well with the supporter organizations, and and nobody's calling for his head, right? In terms of the fans. Oh, no, supporters. not even remotely. It's just a question not of whether remotely. whether Stan decides he wants a head to roll and there'd be a sacrificial lamb. Um, yeah, you, I, just, I, I, I don't, don't see get it. the sense. Okay. I, 
he might be smart enough to realize that ain't fooling anybody. Well, do you know what you do to a lamb? Barbecue them? No. What do you do? You manscape them. You shear them. You shear a lamb. <laughs> And It'll you know what else can be shorn? It's going to confuse that poor lamb when you manscape it. He you thought can he was there for shearing. You can shear yourself. That's right. My goodness. Where are we going with this? You know what? Now that it's all fun and games and the Super League is dead, we can get back to real commercialization, a real company, a company that cares about Arsenal fans because they support this podcast, and a company that cares about good um, good movements because uh, Manscaped does support the testicular cancer society to raise awareness for testicular cancer and uh, a a big push that they're doing a big drive to really just say to all men everywhere, this is a serious issue that affects men. That's something you should be mindful of that when you're using your lawnmower 3.0 down there, maybe stop, get a little extra feel, get a little friendly down there. Um, Maybe for pleasure, but most importantly for uh, research, for making sure that, that you are checked out and that your health is paramount. Uh, testicular cancer, not obviously a, a joking matter and, and one that Manscaped takes seriously. And we're uh, definitely thrilled that they care about that, uh, that organization, the Testicular Cancer Society. So shout out to Manscaped and a reminder that you can get the Lawnmower 3.0, the Weed Whacker for your ears and your nose. You can get all their great uh, products that spiff you up down there and just generally do a phenomenal job with their uh, ceramic blades with their battery power and wet dry operability. You're going to want it. You want to go to manscaped.com, use promo code Arsenal Vision, save 20% off and free shipping. Now available in the EU, UK, US, Australia. Um, uh, I mean, you know, the, the great thing is actually, I, I think Manscaped is an organization that respects the global manscaping culture in a way that maybe KSE doesn't respect the global footballing culture. So manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision, save 20% off and free shipping. Go do it. Support the Testicular Cancer Society as well. Clive, is that enough of that? Oh, yes. Let's go. Let's go. I know uh, you could have I, Could I just it. clarify, because I'd hate if I caused any harm there, you should not barbecue your nasties. No, or sheep, lamb, lamb. Yeah. I mean, well, I, yeah. I, mean I guess, look, if you're the kind of person that thinks lamb is tasty, you know, who might argue with that? I'm, you know, I'm not going to get myself all uh, bound up into a problem here, though. I'm just not going to do it. So. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, so, okay. How about we uh, we pick up where we left off and uh, look, I, I can't, the thing that I can't get over is just how ham-fisted this thing was. Like, look, make sure you take some time to laugh about it, to dunk on them, to meme them, to absorb the memes, because we are sometimes powerless as fans, but this is a weird moment where we feel we sort of made a difference. It's hard to know exactly why they backed off this, and hard to believe that they were so disorganized in the way that they approached this, but... Definitely enjoy the memes. Take some time to suck it up and soak it up and enjoy it. Paul, just super quick on on that point. When you look at why this fell through, um, I mean, do you get a sense that this really was fan power, player power, government power? If you had to sort of rank the concerns of the blowback in terms of which one was most likely to have broken their nerve versus least likely, do you have sort of a sense of where that hierarchy would be? Um, I I don't think you can go past culture because it ties all of that together. Um, The reason the government acted was because it's in the culture, it's in the water. Um, It it impacts business in the UK because football's big business in the UK. Um, Supporters gave it the political support, the international, the general, like 
the thing about this is you we love football but we don't know what football is it's not 11 guys kicking the ball around it's not about var it's not about this there's an aspect of competition in there we've talked about all the elements etc but when they put this plan forward and you saw what was missing and what was wrong you suddenly thought hang on that may be football but it's not bloody football um and so like some of the aspects of what competition and fairness is have come out through this i think one of the big takeaways from this is that uh the big six had a lot of leverage within the the premier league over the big 14 because they were always threatening to leave for a european super league and that was that was their one thing they could leverage the rest of them if you don't do the shit we want we'll leave for the european super league now they bloody can't so from what I've read on it, and it makes sense, um, like the 14 are going to come back, sit around the table with them and say, listen, shit stains, uh, we need to work on the co- competitiveness, the redistribution, the fairness of how we go about this, this uh, Premier League thing, which I think it will have very strong... Uh, knock-on effects in the competitive environment because they're not going to want less access to the Champions League or whatever comes from it in the future. Um, and the Premier League have been a big driver on why, uh, on the weird UEFA offerings and, on the, of course, on this Super League concept that's been around for a while. So things... Our problems won't go away and it's going to get complex and complicated. We won't all be able to get our heads around it and agree on it. But the 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 Premier League teams know what fairer redistribution looks like and they know what more access to uh, the competitions above and around are and more mobility and more support for the footballing pyramid and so I think a lot of good comes out of this. Uh, but in the, at the end of the day, they ran into a cultural brick wall they did not understand. And their arrogance has undone them. And they have revealed themselves. And they didn't just unite, uh, unite the supporters. They clarified. For, it's like we all saw at the one time the great Satan removing his mask. We won't forget who these guys are and what they want. We know what they want now, and we don't have to argue with each other about if they're a little bit bad, a lot bad. We can just argue about their incompetence and their arrogance. The the incompetence and arrogance part is inarguable. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, this is one of those places where I I I wish I didn't stop to consider my own perspectives and just charged ahead with them all the time. And you might say, isn't that what you do? But like, I want to just charge ahead with these people are evil. They did something terrible and they're arrogant and they're incompetent. But like then the part of me that wants to interrogate that says, are you suggesting the current model works that the nothing should be done about the hundreds of millions of pounds of losses that the current system doesn't have corruption and greed baked into it, that it's not run by shadowy organizations that are often motivated by brown envelopes stuffed with cash under the door. Like it is hard because I I hate what they were proposing. And I also hate a lot of the things that we see happening in football and, and people that run football now. So this is where Sports you football supporter organizations and people who have and, and become involved and understand the issues. And if you don't want to 
become involved and fully understand the issue, still support them because they will do the work for us. Yeah, and, a and few, I, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm not going to pound my chest and be like, and if you said I want to spend 50 million pounds on Thomas Party, then you're part of the problem. Like, no, that that's ridiculous. You're allowed to be a fan. You're allowed to want to splash the cash on big stars, but that cash comes from somewhere. Does it come from uh, revenue? And Does I don't it come think it's a contradiction. No, it's not. <laughs> you want what you're saying is run our club well, maximize the efficiencies of our club, and do in the market what you should be able to do. Don't sit on your hands and don't be. Well, it, yeah, it, it, it's not a contradiction to expect your club to act, to perform, to be good. Yeah. Well, the thing is, this starts from how you walk in the door. If you walk in the door and you're allowed, there are no real rules. Of engagement, you can do what you like, can't you, with the asset? And that's what they, they have safeguarding rules in Germany to me, and people are involved, they've got rules of engagement about how they operate. We don't have those rules. It's an open field, and only it's an open field, it's an open field with the biggest TV deals, with the most watchers around the world, with a foreign TV deal, which is bigger than most people's local TV deal. Um, so there's just so much money available and that's what they see. And, um, so yeah, and, and this, this whole process, this whole, uh, Super League project it was first leaked in January, by the way. And it was actually meant to come out, not this week, but last week. So don't sit there and think it was rushed. It wasn't rushed. It just feels rushed because it was so sparse. <laughs> yeah, it, it, because people lost their nerve, because what they didn't take into account was the cultural side of things of the game. Um, they're just not, people were not, I think they, they underestimated the reaction. But if you look at the reactions, apart from the fans' reaction, which is pure and, and and motivated by one thing, wanting to see their club in a competitive, sporting, fair environment, other people's reactions are all self-centered. BT, Sky, UEFA, FIFA. Well said, yep. Mm -hmm. All self-centered. You know, they're all out for themselves to protect their contracts, to protect... And don't, don't, don't hold up the other 14 clubs and say that they're great. When it comes down to it, when they want to vote for what they want, they they block things like five subs. They're the ones that vote on how much money goes down the pyramid. They vote to keep a certain amount of money up up in the top leagues. So, trust me, they're all in it for themselves. This was this was really become apparent to me. No, Mike Ashley is a custodian of Newcastle Football Club. Come on, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> this what really become apparent to me. What's become apparent is just is that self centeredness that. Um, I'm not sure it's the wrong word I'm looking for. But, yeah, it's just people looking out for themselves. Self-interest. Yeah, Self-interest. Well, thank you, Paul. Well, thank you, so, Paul. so let me ask you, Clive, because this is sort of, I think, revealed something for me about myself, which is I don't want it handed to me. You know, I've, I've always sort of wrestled with the, if we had Manchester City's money tomorrow, how would I feel about it? And I don't know. You don't know until you know. And the one thing that made me really sad with the Super League, and anyone who's you know argued with me on Twitter, or if you haven't blocked me already, or in Discord, if you haven't blocked me already, is I love the squad building debates. Clive, you know this about me. My favorite discussions are squad building and asset 
allocation, you know, uh, value-based squad building, like all this stuff. And the reason I love it is I really fundamentally believe that a club the size of Arsenal, if it's run well, can get itself back to the top in a, in a way Liverpool has. And I know there's serendipity involved and luck involved. There's, that's true of everything. But I've really believed that was possible. And staring the Super League in the face made me feel like we'll never get to see that. We'll never get to see Arsenal have to figure out how to solve this problem. Arsenal have to earn their way back to the top. And if we did that, if we sold smart and bought smart and developed academy players and Mikel becomes a you know a world-class coach and we have a really unified theory of squad building and we climb back and we win a Premier League, what that would feel like. And I don't want to lose out on that. I mean, Clive, is... How, yep. how do you react to that? Because for me, this really revealed in me the depth to which I want Arsenal to win by solving its problems, not by having its problems solved for it. This was a, this was a rescue ladder for Arsenal, just helicopter them out of the mediocrity they've been in instead of having to figure out how to get out of it themselves. Yeah, well, I I enjoy the journey like you. I, I enjoy the journey. Yeah, I, except when it was Unai Emery. Mistakes, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> even when we make mistakes, I, I, I'm automatically trying to figure our way out of it. You know, it's part of the, how I how I approach supporting the club. I look at players and think, okay, well, you're all right, but you know what? I I know someone else is better than you. This is what we need, and I mesh the team together in my mind. It's how I support the club. It's how I enjoy the club. How I engage with the club, and am I? And I will I will continue to do it. As soon as the next transfer rumor comes up, I'm on YouTube and I'll post it out on the Discord, right? So I know I'm going to get I will come back. I will bounce back like anything. Time heals. As soon as I see a transfer rumor that I like, time heals, right? But I want to trust the motives. I don't want to think we're just doing this for two years until the next attempt comes, you know? And without what what they've really done that's really disappointing and for all of us that's worked in business or any job you have to build a network you have to build a network around your people and they snap that network in half and i don't know how they're going to sit in key rooms and get change because the game does need changing but they've depowered themselves you know it won't last long because they still hold all of the keys they have all the players, they have all the contracts, they have all the commercial deals. They uh, they pay all the wages, yes, agreed. But what's really become apparent in this modern age is they have all of the data, all of our data, all of our names and addresses because we're members of the club and they can sell us things. They own that power, they own that information and that's what the media companies want. That's what the Amazons and the Googles want. They want more of that. So don't think they're weak because they're not. Don't think because they can Burnley and, and Arsenal can sit in a room, they're the same because they're not. In the Premiership, it is fair. The, the foreign deal is split exactly the same for each club, even though people want to see the top six. And the Premier League is based on merit. If you finish last, you get so much, and it goes up depending where you finish. There's not much more they can do with that. The real, the real win is at the European level. The real win is at the global level. The real win is at the the media level, the streaming level. That's where the real win is. How can we charge people to see our game? Gary Neville said something the other day. Manchester United got 150 million fans around the world. Just imagine if they had an app and they sell a game and they sell it for a dollar to their fans. So rather than get two to three million for a home game right now through the turnstiles, how much is out there? 
40 million the game, just mm. conservatively. And that's what they're after. That's what they're after. And so we, this is not over, I'm afraid, people. It's just going to have a different jacket on yeah. down the road. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it, it pulls back the curtain on the fact that football has to be financed by something. <laughs> um, if you have 100 million pound losses, you're saying, I want it financed by the owner. If you're saying, I want it financed by the owner, the owner is going to turn around and say, well, I want a model that's not this broken. If you're saying, I don't want it financed by the owner, I want it financed by revenues. What do you do when there's no revenues? One of the things that I think you can't, and by the way, I got to break in with this just real quick. I am not here to praise Tottenham Hotspur or their fans, but they did just show up outside their stadium with a banner that says, thanks for no memories, but it's time to say goodbye, <laughs> which I, I think is great because also they're forever in our shadow. They're stealing their banners from our old banners, but the thanks for no memories part is great. It's a Levy out banner. So I do uh, enjoy that. You know, I think um, it, is, it is a case of there being there being a lot of bad solutions and no one seems to really have the right one, but that's not our job, as I said earlier. So Paul, I don't, you know, I don't know how you feel, but I have to admit like this really was a a gut punch. Like in terms of, it's like when you, you know, you get the wind knocked out of you. I'm trying to get pumped for the Everton game on Friday and the Europa League semifinal, but there is a palpable sadness for me. There is a sense of remove Mm. from the club where I feel like I am now, you know, they are against me. I am against them. Um, and I realize that's not the case and it'll probably subside soon. And maybe, you know, we, we do a podcast about actual football and it starts to feel normal again. And the game comes on and everybody's debating the lineup and tearing their hair out. And it all goes back to feeling normal. And, and that could be the case. It doesn't feel like the case for me right now. Um, do you, do you think you will struggle at all to slide back into it? Is this, has this created any kind of fracture for you? You know, this is one of the things that I think is, is dangerous about all of this. Yeah. The minute you show fans what's behind the curtain and how soulless it is and how delicate it is, the minute you tell them that Europa League and Champions League actually doesn't matter because soon there's going to be this other thing, you are really putting the whole thing at risk because we all follow this stuff for this delicate agreement we've made with each other that lifting this cup means something. And the minute we stop feeling like it means something, none of us are going to care about this anymore. We've all convinced each other this stuff matters. None of it matters. It only matters because we all have made a tacit agreement that it matters. And the minute you tell people it doesn't matter because this other thing could just pop up and then that'll matter, you are really rolling the dice on all of this. So has this has this created any kind of fracture for you, any fissure for you, or do you think you can push right through it? Uh, well, I mean... W- uh, it hasn't created a fissure for me. I think I can push right through it. I think the last few days, uh, the first couple of us in particular was particularly difficult. It was like, um, I kind of said about the first podcast, it was us trying to herd our emotional cats together. We all got our emotional cats, put them in the, a crowd of cats, and it became... You know, it was just tough You don't have going. to say emotional cats, by the way, because cats are just emotional naturally, so you can just say cats. Well, there were more cats of emotion, ah, but ah, our emotional cats, cats of emotion <laughs> needed herding. Yeah. Um, and I think I've mostly herded my emotional cats of emotion um, in that the li- you have to draw your own lines, I guess. My line will be drawn at the owner's uh, 
Do I take it out on our executives? Well, I think Vinay's probably a nice guy. Is he any good? It's another matter. I think he's probably a nice guy. Somebody does that, was does going that to, matter? No, okay. it doesn't. But check. I can draw. But I don't have to despise and hate him. Well, yeah, because he had nothing to do with it. <laughs> he didn't yeah. come up with this idea. <laughs> so I can draw my line, right? I don't have to. And if that's where my line is drawn, um, I and I won't. Like, I'm not going to fall for any shit from the owners, right? There was a time I would have accepted that they had a long-term plan, and as football evolves, they embolden them, or they increase their wealth, uh, and that's okay. The club does well, they do well, and whatever football evolves into as the market evolves, that's how they'll get... Well, that wasn't what they wanted to do. They wanted to fucking steal it, change it, steal it, um, kill its soul turn it into something it never was, the fucking NBA, because they don't give a shit. They, they may not be evil people, but from a football standpoint, they are evil. They are the enemy. They've revealed themselves. My line's nice and clear. I want the club to do well. I want the manager, the team. I want us to be successful. Um, f- from the point of view of, well, what might it mean and where might, you know, will there be a kind con- like, you can get run over by a truck tomorrow. I'll take our victories game by game, uh, competition by competition. Um, there are no guarantees in life. Uh, as the manager would tend to say, um, we're not going to look at the. We're going to look at the next game, and that's what I'll do. I'll stay with this. You know, I've been supporting this team uh, more and less over time, um, and I'll take it game by game. I like these players personally. I like the manager. I don't hate all our executives. I just wish they were a lot more co- uh, competent. And our owners, our owners aren't people. They're a class of people, right? Put it, it, like he's been, Kroenke's been supporting Glazer in particular uh, since 2014 publicly in the media, standing up for him, defending his model, defending what he does. Those guys have been buddies for forever. It doesn't matter about the people. They're a class, and they're not our class. Mm. They're not football yeah. people. No, I mean... We want Stan, them out. Stan is as, as close to a human being to me as I am to an octopus. We're literally... Yeah. I mean, billionaires exist in a world where the the way we think about things the way we interact with things the way we experience things it's not remotely the same that's not me lionizing them by the way that's just me saying it's the reality of their life and you know it's funny i I did it i did a tweet the other day saying that i think arteta might be living in a bit of a bubble in the covid world because he's not getting some of the feedback that you get from fans in the stands and things like that the irony is, is maybe it's not arteta living in the bubble but my goodness the owners clearly were to not have have seen what was coming clive I want to ask you, basically, um, if you think Kroenke's out. I mean, it, the the thing I would say is, Stan Kroenke's not in the business of just losing money indefinitely. Now, the asset may continue to appreciate in value, but if he has to spend $100 million, $200 million in underwriting losses, as Scott said, annually, that's not a business model he's going to be interested in. This was his play to make Arsenal interesting to him long term for it to not only be an asset that increases in value, but an asset that is cash positive. Um, that is now out the window, at least in the short term. So 
I don't see why Stan would want to own this anymore. He made his play to turn it into what he wants it to be. He was rebuffed. He's lost power. He's not on the ECA anymore. He's reviled by the fans. He's taken no interest in the club, period. The club is not competitive and not profitable. But the asset continues to be hugely valuable. If you're Stan, what on earth would you stay for? I mean, do you do you think he's out? Well, he could disengage. <laughs> how do you how do you disengage first? I mean, he's he's already was, like the train left the station. And he's still on the platform. Sorry, you were joking. Okay, yeah, he, he could disengage you did a, joke. a little bit more. I didn't see it. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm. I, I said, yeah, I said this last night quite quite quickly. This 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 was your ambition. You revealed your ambition, and it's been curtailed. So now, what are you going to do? You got one or two choices. You either try to rebuild trust, and the way you can build trust is to rebuild the goals and motivation for the club, or you you decide to cash in because he still made money. He still made plenty, hundreds of millions. You decide to cash in and and sell the club to somebody else, and that's it, really. And I think we have to either. I mean, the fans will be saying that right now, just need to get him out. I'm always looking for the path to green. Like, what's the path to green for us as fans? We want to see somebody comes in that's just maybe a little bit more sport motivated. That that's it for me. We just make us not an investment model. We make us a sporting model that invests well in a sporting context. That's that's all I want really. Um, I want to see us make smart decisions. I don't need 500 million a season from the owner. It'll be nice, but it'll make it a little bit false. You know, Chelsea Man City, just, they look pretty happy, but that's not for me, really. I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more investment into our infrastructure, into our stadium, into our training ground, making sure we've got a stadium for the for the ladies. I want to see more of that. I want to see more ambition, you know, with, with global partners. I want to see a much more of a sporting ambition to grow the football club. You know, grow the football club. While we've been sitting there jogging along and drifting, commercially we've we've shrunk. Revenue-wise, we've flatlined. They're not really working hard enough. We're seeing people leave the club. You know, so we're not growing as an people infrastructure within the club. We're shrinking. We're shrinking on a sporting angle. We have a young coach that's not bad. We have a young not bad, but there's some young players who's really promising. There's a promising sporting angle here if somebody would help it along a little bit, reduce the reduce the end point for the project for the project, right? For the football project. And Elliot, I learned many times on <laughs> podcasting, they people say to me, oh, I really enjoy it. I enjoy it because I'm comfortable with what I don't know. And I don't know how these people are gonna react. You know, um, they're cold and they've shown that. <clears throat> and I really don't know how they're going to react. And I just got a funny feeling this, this is not over yet, mate. This is not over. Look, the one thing we know, Stan Kroenke didn't buy Arsenal because he loves football and wants to be competitive at football. So it's one of two things, asset value and profit or, and pro, or profit and profit. This was a way to increase asset value and have profit. Well, right now he doesn't have profit. And given what the pandemic has done, he has massive losses that he has to underwrite. Um, the asset value still looks good, but the profitability won't be there. <clears throat> that may be the tipping point for him. Before I ask you the same question, Paul, I want to just say something that I've been thinking about really carefully. And it's it's a nuanced point that I probably won't make right, but hear me out. The tipping point in sport, and especially in football, 
is when the revenue generated outside the stadium eclipses the revenue generated inside the stadium. That's the tipping point. Because when your revenue is primarily generated from the match-going fan, life is easier as an owner. Demographically, they're probably similar. Their interests are all fairly aligned. You can measure their enthusiasm very easily. You can make the stadium bigger. That's pretty much the way you increase the revenue there. The answers are very simple. The demographics are very basic. The goals of your audience are very easy to understand. And you can serve them by being a part of the community, by building a winner on the pitch, by making the match-going experience better. There are ways to engage with the challenges of improving match day revenue that are fairly straightforward. There aren't a lot of variables. But what happens when TV revenues, when viewing revenues, when merchandise revenues far eclipse the match day revenue? When sponsorship revenues far eclipse the match day revenue? Suddenly, the community doesn't matter. The match-going fan doesn't matter, which, you know, look, I'm not saying that they're a superior fan, but what I'm saying is they're an easy fan to sort of understand and, and, and service. Now you're trying to please fans that live in different countries, that have different cultures, that have different demographics. A 14-year-old who watches on his iPad, a, a, a 22-year-old who's tweeting a lot about Arsenal but actually only watches highlight clips on Twitter. A 50-year-old who is a diehard fan but doesn't go to the matches anymore and watches on Sky. Uh, A 40-year-old in the U.S. who is chasing around whether they have to watch it on Peacock or NBCSN or ESPN Plus or BR Live or Paramount Plus. The needs change and the demographics are different and the challenges of servicing them become more complex. And suddenly you are chasing an ever-growing number of fans from all over the world that are disparate in their interests, their demographics, their habits, and that's a complexity. And so it becomes a remove. It becomes almost too conceptual and not concrete enough. There's something very concrete about 60,000 people from the London area going into a building and cheering on Arsenal. And something very, very much not concrete about 100 million people all over the world watching on Twitch or Twitter or Paramount Plus or Dazzin or BR Live or Sky Red Button and $15 for pay-per-view. And that becomes very, very difficult to get your hands around and to grow in the same way and to service in the same way. And I don't think that football has has adapted to that well. I, I would never consider myself a second-class citizen. I've never been the kind of person to say the match-going fan is the real fan. But servicing that fan was easier. Servicing that fan was concrete. Servicing that fan was connected to the soul of the game. And this is different. And I think that challenge is something that ownership, that UEFA, that FIFA, none of them know how to do it. None of them are doing it right. And solving that problem, understanding who you're really trying to serve and how you serve them best, that's going to be the challenge of the day for them. I don't know if they can manage it. They certainly haven't yet. That's my take on that. that. Yep. Mm -hmm. They can't do it. You, You can't serve them all. You, you've got to hold on to what your game is. And, and, sure and hope that the rest clear. just come along. Mm-hmm. You can't service them all. It's yeah. like, you know, I'll give you an analogy. There's a, there's a local pub where I live, and basically in, in the daytime, it's like a lovely restaurant. If the evening, it turns into like a, a, a pub for the kids. And then after 11 o'clock, it turns into a, a real dive in the lock-in. That pub shut because people didn't know what it stood for. Mm. Do you know what I mean? 
with football, let's know what it stands for. Just you offer what you offer and let people adapt to you. Make sure what you do, how you operate, is top quality. Operate well, manage yourself well. Let's not talk about all the management mistakes at Arsenal, should we? Because we know what they are. We're moaning about his organisation, but let's look at ourselves. <laughs> We've been a shambles in the recent years, but although they are trying, well, I would normally say at this point, they are trying to be better. But now, do I even trust where we're going with the new project on the football side? Because I'm, I'm not sure anymore. The, the scariest thing now is you had a club that was already drifting when the owner seemed to be only casually concerned. And now you've got a club that may have an owner that's literally hostile to its own interests. It's a very strange dynamic. Paul, do you think it'll it'll force Kroenke out? Uh, I think there's a lot. I would have said no chance right up until this. Um, I I think there's clearly more of a question there whether he might or not. I still think, though, that the Super League may not happen. But something's going to happen and soon, and it'll probably the, be the UEFA thing. The crooks we know who understand football culture, who understand how to message things, who are connected to all of the governments, uh, all the football associations, and who were waving four, five, seven billion pounds, dollars around euros, who knows what. Um, and like the problem hasn't, they don't. They may want to punish these clubs, but they need uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, uh, PSG, City, etc., etc., etc. In fact, a few of those clubs don't need them in in one sense financially, but but UEFA does, and so there's going to be something in quick. The risk for Arsenal is you can't. In the end, they can't go without Real Madrid so uh, maybe they'll find some way of punishing them diminishing their power but basically they need them they need them alive they need them to be part of it I'll tell you who they don't need and the world wouldn't miss we'd we'd miss us but we'd be a, we'd be a rounding point off their list they don't need us and so we better hope that we have not totally fucking blown our foots off with a bazooka with whatever uh, plan comes up because we were kind of the follow-along kids um, and that could be dangerous if if what UEFA do to exercise their muscle is to save the ones they have to save and open things up dramatically for all sorts of other clubs to get in there so it probably won't happen we'll probably be safe because we're still hanging around with the big boys we hang around with United where there's a I believe a very strong alliance there and we hang around with uh, FSG where maybe there isn't but there's an alliance of 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 needs and interests and maybe they still have their eye on some kind of super le- super league end run sometime off in the future but there's definitely risk that wasn't there before. Um, and it, <clears throat> maybe if KSE is in a bigger cash crunch than we even know, maybe they need to do something. But I think mostly they'll ride it out and UEFA will come up with stuff. But for that, the good news for us, if you want to look at it like that, is Stan can't really walk away from whether we're any good or not. Because the, if it takes two, three, four years to resolve what the next competition is, and we're seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth for the next 
two, three, four years, uh, United and, and and Liverpool are going to say, sorry, guys, you know, we'd argue your case, but you guys suck and you make us, you make this our uh, framing of what our future competition may be or our our position within UEFA look bad because you guys are terrible and you're not competitive and you make our case look bad. So I still think either way that that uh, Stan's going to care whether we're any good or not. He wants us to get back into top four, ten, top six contention and to be solid there, which might put interesting pressure on Arteta and, and our boys if we don't perform. Interestingly, yeah. rather than not needing the Europa League, I think uh, this th- this last weekend there's a good chance that puts ungodly pressure on Arteta to deliver, and it, and if we lose to anybody, it has to be United. I would say. You, the funny thing is, like you, you just never know how people who are not used to being rebuffed will react to being rebuffed, right? So, like, my yeah. presumption is that Stan will be like, screw this, my plan didn't come through, I hate this club, I don't want any part of it anymore, it's not for me, I don't understand it, I don't want to be in it, I'm, I'm done, I'm out. You know, he, he may react that way. I suppose it's possible that he could react by saying, I got to get these people back in my good graces, and I enriched myself massively during the pandemic, so, you know, let's do that. We sh- you know, or, I mean, or, I mean, he, yeah. or he's a billionaire who basically just doesn't care. Yeah, he's on probably. his ranch. He doesn't give a well, shit. Well, right, but but he has to care and in so far as we have right now, look, we have huge losses, Paul, so anyone we want to buy this summer, just he mean, has to say yes to it. And he may, I just he may. mean a per, in a personal reaction. Oh, screw him! Oh, I'll get them oh, back. Yeah. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, he no, I don't think personally. No, he doesn't care. Why? Why, why would he care personally? Uh, Clive, we got to get out of here. But real quick, last last point: Do you think that this will have repercussions for the players and the coach in the short term? Do you think they will struggle to get on with the business of of the football in the wake of this? Um, I don't know. I hope not, because unless the unless these clubs are punished by UEFA, but I don't see UEFA doing that. I really don't. Um, legally, I don't think it stands up, and it's not smart to punish the biggest boys in the room. It's just not smart. Um, but those relationships need to be built, and um, let's see what happens, right? But I'm, let's just stay on the positive. I honestly don't know any. I'm going to try to just say, yes, we're good. We're going to be fine, and we can get back onto the football really quickly. I'm hoping that and, so as and, it kicks yep. off on Friday night, we're going to see something akin to what we used to see. And and you're ready to be excited for the Europa League semi final? No reservation, no issue. Um, I've got no choice, mate. Oh, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna enough, believe yeah. it. I wanna believe in the in the project. I wanna believe in the football. I wanna believe in in Arsenal. Even though I'm I'm damaged, and my trust is damaged. And a lot of the values by which I look at Arsenal have been damaged. But I'm not going to sit here and sulk. I'm going to try to look for the positives and and watch this story develop because it, I think we've reached a fork in the road. We really have. And, and maybe that's good. I've had loads of discussions with people, including people like Tim Payton, by the way, who's always had this view that things would go bad and we used to discuss it offline. And you know what? It's all out there now. So now we all know. So this is good. This is good. We all know that we're in a bad place. So let's see how we come up. But at least we don't have to debate it anymore because of the clandestine behavior of the club, the board, etc. 
Um, no one's looking good at the moment. And then yeah. to quote one of my uh, one of my favourite sayings that I stole from Mister Ornstein: "This failure has many fathers." Yeah. yeah. Well, and and all I can say is, just because something is broken doesn't mean the solution is to throw it away. Uh, I'd like to fix this rather than uh, have something else that doesn't even resemble this. So, all in all, I think good developments. Disappointed with our club. Disappointed with our owner. There's going to be a, a protest Friday. You know, totally behind that. I, I think we are living in interesting times and we will see how this shakes out. I think predicting it at this point seems impossible. But the, the world's dumbest coup, the dumbest coup I have ever seen is over. And thank goodness for that. Uh, Paul's on Twitter at My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Woo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure, indeed, my friend. Tomorrow, if you are a patron, we're going to probably treat you to arguably the best episode ever, a schadenfreude episode devoted entirely to Spurs. Schadenfreude episode devoted entirely to Spurs being an absolute laughing stock because we didn't get a chance to really dig into that this week. So we're going to make amends and do that. So there you go. The coup's been put down. The football is back. We love you and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Everton nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.